welcome to The Two Dyspraxics. I'm Matthew Munson. And I'm Barbara Neal. So today we are going to talk about our experience of dyspraxia assessments. So do you want to kick off, Matthew? How kind. How kind. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know why I wasn't expecting that, but I wasn't. That's fine. No, well, you should no. be used to it by now. I should, I should be, yeah. Pass, pass the buck. No, don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah so anyway, my diagnosis. Um, so let's have a think. So I was diagnosed officially when I was, what was that? Oh, crikey. Um, 15. It was an introduction by you. Uh, I must have been... oh, that. oh, sorry. <laughs> I was jumping the gun there and going back to your school days. So, yeah, well, well I actually, believe you to it. To be fair, you, you are right. I mean, the first time I heard about it was when I was about fifteen, and my and the deputy head of, the, of my secondary school sort of mentioned this word. I was like, "Oh, am I?" And they'd known about it for ages, but didn't think to tell me. So, all right, thanks for that. Um, but so I didn't. I didn't. I. That's what I was told I was, and it all made sense when I read a book about it from from Amanda Kirby. I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. But it was one of those weird situations where it was like a no-man's land. I, I knew I was dyspraxic because, you know, I've been told I been was dyspraxic by my school, didn't have a formal assessment through my school or anything. It was ever suggested. I'd read this book, so I was sort of self-diagnosed as dyspraxic, but um, as you well know as well, Barbara, yeah, you know, self-diagnosis isn't really worth anything. You know, no, no, you know, official organisations re- recognise a self-diagnosis. Yeah, I think. So, sorry to interrupt, but I think it's it's um, valuable to us yeah, because it does solve a few problems. You know, we or solve a few mysteries. Maybe I think yeah. it explains a few things. So it's valuable to us, but it's not valuable really to anybody outside of us. Yeah, I agree. I think it's probably the start of a journey that we, a dyspraxic person, will go on because we're sort of exploring this this strange this strangeness about us, and we think, well, why why, why do we feel a bit out of sorts, a bit strange, a bit different, if I can say that word, and and, and then suddenly suddenly we get this explanation somehow, and it's different for both of us. Um, and our, the only reason I went through, uh, and I said, well, two reasons I went through an assessment. One was it was free, to be yep. completely <laughs> honest, because, you know, I was late 20s by this point, and it would have cost me a hell of a amount of money. I could never have afforded it privately, because that's out of my price range, five hundred quid or whatever it would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I got it I got it done for free. Um, and also I, I got it done because I thought, well, you, you never know when that one time comes up that could mean it's useful for me to have um it was it wasn't actually as bad as I thought it would be I remember I think it was Faversham I had to go to for it and it was through someone you'd you previously worked with she was training occupational therapists on how to recognize the signs of dyspraxia um some of the signs you're picking up I wasn't so sure about I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. So I was like, okay, I'll just keep quiet on that one and just be delicate. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I met this occupational therapist and she picked up things about my walking style, my mannerisms, my just everything that she said, well, you're a classic dyspraxic. It's nothing about you that says me anything other than, 
dyspraxia. Um, so it was about an hour, and we had to do various tests and those experiments and things like that. And it was it was it was really interesting, actually. She pointed to things about kind of how I stand and carry myself and balance that I hadn't noticed. Um, and I got this report, this piece of paper that said, "Okay, Matthew, you're dyspraxic." You know, and then I kind of thought, "Oh, what do I do with it now?" But that's a it's another story. Um, what about you? So, what was your kind of experience of it like? Well, first of all, I, like you, I self-diagnosed because um, it was thanks to the fact that my son was um, going through the assessment process. Or, in fact, it, it was even before that because um, a friend of mine said, do you think your son might be dyspraxic? And I said, well, I've never heard of what is this dyspraxia thing, and I've yeah. never heard of it. And um, so she lent me Amanda Kirby's book as well, which I found very helpful. Yeah. So then I decided that he needed a formal assessment. So I was battling with the school to try and get him a formal assessment. This was in primary school, actually, and he was um, like the the last year of infant school. So that would have been, what, year two? Uh, year two. Yeah, and yeah, he went through the whole of junior school without having had an assessment. And I've been fighting all the way. But wow. he had one teacher who was supportive throughout that process and she gave me a, a questionnaire to complete at home and mm. I was going through it. You know, she had one that she completed at school and I was going through the questionnaire and I thought, well, this is familiar. Well, I do this and I do this and I do that. <laughs> and there's one thing that sticks in my mind. It said, do you wrap your feet around chair legs when you're sitting on a chair? And I thought, well, I'm always doing that because a classic thing is swinging back on the chair just to try and maintain your balance and, um, I think mm. the phrase is work out where we are in space or something like that. And uh, I tend not to swing back on the chair, but I do wrap my feet around the legs of the chair. So that really struck a chord with me, along with all the other bits and pieces I picked up on. <laughs> but um, it was interesting. The way I got my um, formal assessment, and like you, it was free. <laughs> the chance of <laughs> a freebie because, and also like you, I just didn't have the, it was just under £500 that I would have been charged because I was dismayed that you can't get an assessment for free anyway. Yeah, I think it should be available because other, I mean, as, as long as as long as there's a medical model of dyspraxia in use, then we should have the medical opportunity to have it assessed, I think, you know, mm. down the NHS, in other words. So, but that doesn't happen, or at least it hasn't happened in my experience. So at the time, I was um, it was before I started my hypnotherapy practice and I was really very, very keen to start that up. And I was yeah. going to the job centre at the time and I, I was looking for um, any support I could muster for that. And um, it was amazing how it happened because I was actually late in true dyspraxic fashion. I turned up an hour later than I should have done for my appointment, believing oh. I was on time. Oh, and no, no, no. Uh, and I, I wasn't. You know, it was a typical, I was absolutely convinced that my appointment was a certain time and it wasn't. It had been an hour earlier. So instead of being kicked out, which is what I probably would have expected, I was sent to another advisor who had a dyslexic daughter so she was sympathetic from the outset, and that made such a difference because um, uh, I said to her, well, look, I really, there are various grants and things I would like to get my hands on, but um, 
yeah, I have this this problem where um, I'm dyspraxic, but I, I'm not able to prove it. And there was also, um, I have to say, I was doing a course at the time as well. It was a holistic massage course. And the practical aspect of it was a huge no-no. The practical aspect of the exam was mm. a no-no to me because we had to remember so many things. We had to remember our posture. We had to remember the um, order of the routine that we had to work in. We had to remember um, the different, you know, the different moves because there's actually quite a lot more to massage than a lot of people I think might realise. And we had to answer questions. The examiner would come around and ask us questions. And I said, I'm prepared to sacrifice the number of questions that that I'd be asked because I just won't be able to do that. It's one thing too many. There's already enough things to focus on. (laughs) And um, so my tutor asked me if I had a piece of paper to prove I was dyspraxic and I didn't. So because of that and because of the fact that I was trying to get this this hypnotherapy practice off the ground, um, I um, mentioned all of this to the um, job centre person, advisor, and she said, well, not many people know this, and I don't know if this is still the case. I mean, we're going back to 2010, so it's a long time ago now, and um, she said, I'm not sure if uh, many people know this, but... We advisors have access to funding and um, and we can help people with startup businesses. So I said, right, okay. So mm-hmm. she said, and it seems to me that you're not really going to be able to get your business off the ground until you've got that assessment done, the yeah. assessment for dyspraxia. So I said, well, that's true. You know, it would definitely help. So she said, okay, well, um, you can have the funding for it. So, whoa. So wow. I, was really, I was blown away. I got the funding to go to the person who was teaching, the person that you were talking about, and um, had my assessment. And what was really interesting to me, because there were all sorts of things like standing on one leg. No, I can't stand on one leg for <laughs> more than a couple of seconds if I'm lucky. And I've got one leg that's even worse than the other one. So it just doesn't happen. You know, hopping is about the best I can manage because I'm going to reassert <laughs> the connection with the ground, if that makes sense. And yeah. um, so that was one of the things I couldn't do. And there was all this sort of walking about and stuff. And um, I was, obviously, I'm, I'm just brushing that aside as though it didn't matter, <laughs> but it did. Obviously, it's part of the assessment. But yeah. the one thing that really sticks in my mind about my assessment was when I was asked to, I think it was write something down, but do something that required fine motor skills, which... As you know, and I'm sure a lot of other people know, fine motor skills are something that dyspraxic people traditionally have an issue with. Yes. And so I was doing that and I thought, well, I managed that quite well. And then she said to me, because I was, whatever it was I was doing, I I think it was writing something down as far as I can remember. I know it was a fine motor skill, but whatever it was I was doing, I I was using my right hand. And that goes back to what we were talking about previously on a previous podcast about left right handedness Mm. I was using my right hand and then she amazed me because she said did you notice what your left hand was doing and I I was completely blissfully unaware of my left hand doing anything but it seems that I was kind of mirroring the um, movements that my right hand was making with my left hand and being unaware of it so yeah so that's kind of interesting I'm still quite fascinated by that now and I call it if if I become aware of it because that happened in my assessment blew me away because I I had no 
inkling whatsoever that my left hand was doing that. So so I'm now more aware of it than I was before. And right. if, if I'm ever doing something, I think, oh, my left hand's going, my left hand's going. I'll <laughs> sort of just put it on a table or <laughs> stop it happening. Because it's not as though I don't have the conscious ability to stop it from happening. It's uh, it's a really odd thing. So yeah, yeah. So both hands tend to want to do the same thing, which is kind of strange. But yeah, yeah that's the thing that stands out most in um, my assessment. And I do, I still heartily believe that assessments should be available, freely available for everyone who needs them. Yes, I think that's that's the problem because if you don't. If you don't get it diagnosed when you're at school and you might not know, you know, the school might not be set up to recognise it or, or do the referral or it, it just might, it might not even be a noticeable at school. That it shouldn't be reliant that if you leave school without an assessment, suddenly off you go, get on with it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly what happened to me, of course, because um, it was back in the day where I've no idea how I managed to do this, but I passed the 11 plus. Mm. And, uh, so I went to high school and um, couldn't wait to leave school because I hadn't had an assessment. I don't think anyone had heard of dyspraxia, certainly not in my school anyway. So um, I left school at the earliest available opportunity. So rather than go on to university, which was expected of students in our school, I left school at 15. And, um, you know, my parents agreed I could as long as I had a job to go to, which I did. You know, I found a job in no time. But um, I do feel a little bit cheated about that because I've, I am so basically quite academic. Yeah. But I, I didn't have the ability. We didn't have laptops in those days, obviously, either. So that was in the 60s and um, albeit the late 60s when I was at um at that particular school, but it meant I left school with no qualifications, zero qualifications. And um, I mean, I have quite a number of qualifications now, but that's because I've been able to take them on my own terms as an adult, which is mm. a different matter entirely. But, but then I think that's doesn't that, in a way that doesn't that go to show actually how we're shortchanging, you know, children and adults? Because you think, well, what could these children be capable of? What could a those adults be capable of if they were given the opportunity to to be supported in that absolutely yeah well I was while I was at school I mean I had a um school let me down in a couple of ways I think really because apart from the fact that it wasn't picked up that that I'm dyspraxic so I didn't have any support at all so I was let down in that respect by the education system at the Mm. time and the other thing is um there was a teacher at school who was a real bully and she used to pick on someone to make an example of, you know, to frighten the living daylights out of everybody else, I think. And that <laughs> that lucky recipient was me when um, no, in our no, club. No. So, and she was a biology teacher. And it's really sad because I was very, very interested in biology originally. And I think I would possibly have gone on and since then I've um you know one of the qualifications I gained in order to get my holistic massage and Indian head massage qualifications I've had to um to gain a diploma an ITEC diploma in anatomy and physiology and that's mm. no mean feat I have to say that's why I thought massage oh that should be easy but no <laughs> anatomy and physiology but it's really interesting and you know I found I was especially interested in the cardiovascular system so I mm-hmm. think had things turned out differently in school, then I possibly would have gone into medicine. 
So I'm quite, you know, I'm I'm interested enough. Yeah. So I, I, I find that interesting that, that, you know, both of you, you and I had a similar experience to a degree in that neither of us knew about our dyspraxia at school. It, it was in my sense, my teachers believed I was dyspraxic at school, but for some reason, and I'll, I will never find out why they decided to do this, but they 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 all thought, well, it's like the deputy head of the school thought that I was dyspraxic, but at no point thought to discuss that with me and my parents. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and in more reflecting on it, I think, why? Something so fundamental, yeah, that he mentioned to my parents or the parents even or something when I was 15 as a... This is like 95, 96, something like that. You know, the survey comment so casually, and and you think, well, either he presumed that I already knew, but why would you presume that I already knew? And there's a duty of care there, as with all students, to be fair. There's a duty of care there to say, well, let's find let's find out how we how we can cater for this student who's got this difference, this learning difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at no point was that ever considered for me, and I, I struggle to understand why. I don't have any bitterness about it. I don't. I don't lose sleep over it or anything because I'm I'm forty years old now and I'm I'm completely relaxed about it. But I feel I feel a a sadness that if if I could be sort of let down, I guess in that sense, who else was? You know, not necessarily about dyspraxia, but a school has a duty of care to its students. Yeah. If they noticed something about me that was different, why didn't they say, "You do know about that, don't you?" If not, let's 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 tackle it as a team. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought that they should at least have asked you if you had any questions about it. Yeah. I mean, they obviously had more knowledge about it than you did at that time, so that should have been the least that happened. Absolutely. I, I don't. I, I, I say I don't think about it in any great depth anymore because I've moved on, but sure. I do remember being left with a real confusion at the time, uh, almost in a sense that I didn't feel like I was allowed to talk about it to my teachers anymore because they never talked about it with me. It was almost like this, it felt like a bit of a secret. It felt like something that I shouldn't really mention. I'm sure that probably wasn't the case, but that's that's how it was left with me. And I wonder if if children feel like that now or... Or, or if they find out when they're 25 or 30 that they're dyspraxic or even older, you, you, you know, you, you must think, maybe, maybe you thought that, you think you reflect back and you think, well, why did nobody pick that up earlier? Why did nobody help me? Was it because they didn't know themselves? They didn't know what to look for? Is it because they couldn't be bothered? I'm not saying that's the case, but but was it? Yeah, I, it's I, I feel like you. I, I don't have any regrets as such because, you know, I think I've, I've enjoyed everything I have done, you know, but I've had some great opportunities work-wise and so on. But um, it just interests me how different things could have been mm. had I had that support. So, um, yeah, and also like you, you know, I think that, that we should be, school should be there to support students to reach or to at least work towards their potential. And I'm not yeah. absolutely sure that happens. Well, there, there should be a natural curiosity amongst everyone mm. in education. And, and I'm, I'm, I've never been in education, so I recognise I'm perhaps talking on a slight minefield here. But there's, there should be, maybe in gen, I'll say generally in society, there should be a curiosity that if somebody's a bit different or a bit, you know, reacting in a slightly different way, 
Let's find out why. Not not in any kind of malicious way, but oh, that person's doing this, or that person's showing these 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 signs, these symptoms. Let's let's show a bit of curiosity and ask some questions about that and find out why and find out what's going on there. There's nothing wrong with that because that asking questions leads to answers and surely that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um you know, just as a slight aside, I will say that I had um because I don't I don't want anyone to think that I'm just totally slagging off my school because that's not, you know, that's no. what I'm trying to do. But um there was one teacher because I left at fifteen and it wasn't expected that students would leave at 15 from the school I went to. So um, there was one teacher who happened to be my English teacher and English was my favourite subject. Thanks mm. to the biology teacher being so horrible to me, really, because I think yeah. it possibly could have been biology otherwise. But um, yeah. but the English teacher, when I left, was the only one who actually wished me luck. And she said, wow. she said you can work, because I was leaving without taking O-levels as it was then. And she said... You can take your O-levels at evening class, you know. So I said, yes, I'll consider that, because she asked me to promise her I'd consider it. I did consider it. I considered it for until I was about 30-something. Okay. And and then I, did, I didn't even go. I was so cocky. I didn't even book a course. I just booked the exam. And <laughs> um, so I went, took the exam, passed it. So I said, right, that's for my English teacher. <laughs> I've done it. So, um, yeah. But since then, I've, I've um, studied all sorts of things on my terms because um, now I know I'm dyspraxic. I know if I need a bit of extra time, if there's writing by hand involved. I know um, if I need a bit of extra time in an exam or if I need handouts, preferably in advance of a session. So I've been able to ask for those things because I've got the confidence to ask now. And so as a result of that, I've got, oh, crikey, I've got a whole load of qualifications in various computing skills. Um, I've got my um, anatomy and physiology diploma and um, I studied psychology at degree level as well and passed with credits most of the, the courses I took in that. So it's possible. It is possible. So mm. I think um, just to go back to what we were originally talking about, an assessment really helps because it does at least give educators at least um, an understanding or at least an appreciation that this particular person will probably need a bit of slightly different support from the other students and they yes. can they can go on to just achieve hopefully their potential as a result. Yeah, yeah. And it's just knowing that they're capable and that yeah. they have that ability, you, you, you know, and, and if we can do, if if that, if they can be, if a, if a dyspraxic child can be freed up to have that capacity, I think that's great, and that's how it should be. And I, as I say, I just feel a sadness for people, yeah, maybe myself included, maybe in that, that actually there is this thing where we don't get that support, that recognition. Yeah. Uh, is it maybe disappointment? And it does really start with assessments, I think. They need to yeah. be really available for everyone. We were lucky. I mean, we found, or well, lucky or canny, depending on how you look at it, but we, <laughs> we were in the right place at the right time and got our assessments without it costing us anything. But unfortunately, that's not the case for most people. So I think yeah. that's something where some campaigning could be done. So yeah. any dyspraxic listeners who are interested 
um, in starting up a campaign, please do so and let us know and we'll support you all the way, won't we? Oh, 100%. And, well, 200%, definitely. Yeah. 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 You can't have 200%. No, I can't. But, yeah, I've, I've gone, <laughs> as usual, I've gone too far. I was always rubbish at maths as well. And on, <laughs> on that happy note, <laughs> we'll say goodbye till next time. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from her. Um, <laughs> and yeah. just goodbye from Matthew as well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.